And we were headed down the road. I was going to do about eight of them. But I felt very um, moved by God to put that series on hold. And I want to take three weeks to deal with our country. You know, when you read the Bible, you see that the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of them, why were they prophets? They were prophesying to their nation. They were concerned about their country. And the word that they brought was in hopes of turning their country back to God. So to say that God doesn't lead believers to be involved in politics is ignorance. Because that puts Isaiah out and all the rest of them. So I felt I wanted to deal with our country because our country is in real trouble. And I've called this message America at the Tipping Point because I believe we really are for the first time at the tipping point on the level we were at the time of the Revolutionary War in our beginning. I believe it's that strong and that serious. A lot of people may not get it. I think you're going to get it after I share this today. I want to call it this first message, America and Ancient Israel. Three frightening parallels. And I want to talk out of Judges, uh, verse 21 and verse 20, chapter 21 and verse 25. Just one verse. And then let's just dive in. And let me draw some parallels. And, you know, I live in Realville. I'm not a denier. And if you walk in denial, reality has a way of coming up and biting you anyway. I want to deal with the truth and then deal with the truth in faith. So let's read this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Father, I pray that you will speak to us today. And Lord, not only this congregation, but everybody listening by radio and by media, we're on 42 radio stations, Lord, all throughout the country. I pray that you will wake your people up. Wake us up and help us to realize the hour we're in. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God is good all the time and you better grab your toes. You're going to need it. Well, this verse... Very important verse. There was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's a very serious statement. It describes the moral condition that brought Israel into judgment over and over again. When you read the book of Judges, it's just a grim biographical sketch of Israel's darkest hour in the Old Testament. Uh, twelve, God raised up 12 judges, 11 men, one woman, Deborah. Those judges, 12 judges, were raised up over a a period of over three centuries, 300 years plus, around 350 years, to continuously bring Israel deliverance by bringing them to repentance. And then once they were delivered, they, they did good as long as the judge was alive. And then when the judge died, they slid right back down again. And so you had this yo-yo going on in the book of Judges. They just couldn't get it together. So we're given an insight into the reason for their folly and it was that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. 
That not only describes the reigning philosophy of Israel, but it describes the reigning philosophy of present-day America. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes, which the Bible says is a perilous path to take. Now, we're going to see that Israel repeatedly declined and backslid and then got away from God and then came back. And why go into this, you might say? Well, because America is at the tipping point. Anybody who reads the news and pays any attention at all should be aware that we're in trouble. We're on the verge of a moral and a financial collapse. I wish I could bring you great news about the country and I could tell you that God wants to make everybody rich and you can go out and have two cars and have the best parking places at the mall. But I want to deal with what's really at hand today. Now the good news is that we have tools at our disposal to turn it around and I'm going to discuss those tools at the end of this message. Now today I want to explore, as I've said, the parallels between ancient Israel's moral and spiritual decline and America. The parallels are stunning. When you read Judges or read the book of Jeremiah, some of the old prophets, it's amazing. The parallels are so close that it's unnerving. Let's deal with Israel. First, Israel was established by God himself. God birthed the land of Israel. God birthed Israel out of his own will through Father Abraham. And God gave himself to them. Now, not only to give them himself, but he gave them the law, which is summarized and encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. And he gave them Canaan, the best land on the face of the earth in that day, the lushest property. So God gave, to make it easy to remember, God gave to Israel the Lord, the law, and the land. Now God only asked them for one thing, having given them those three things. He said, I just want one thing. I want you to love me, obey me, and serve me. I have birthed you to be a nation that brings glory to me. That's why I've done what I've done with you. Now what did Israel do? Well, Israel turned around and denied the Lord and defied the law and defiled the land. That's the way they responded to God over and over and over again. So God brought them into judgment. Now, in the West, we have received lopsided preaching. We've received a lot of preaching on the love of God. God's love. He, he loves this. We've really gotten into preaching greasy grace and sloppy agape. That God's love, and so whatever you want to go do, you can just go do it because God's love, he'll forgive you and pick you back up and dust you off and you can go off and live however you want to. But we have forgotten that God is also a God of holiness. And holiness must judge sin. If God were not a holy God and a judger of sin, then we do not live in a moral universe and God is not really God. But ladies and gentlemen, we live in a moral universe because we were created by a moral God of righteousness and holiness. And he wired you and I to live a moral life because we were created in his image. So there is a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, a light and a dark, a godly and a godlessness. And it's stark and it's clear and it's black and white and it's absolute. 
So Israel decided, having known God, being given his word, his land, his law, and himself, they denied the Lord, defied the law, defiled the land, and God brought them into judgment. And he allowed them to be carried away into captivity for 70 years. And then after Jesus came and went, and went back to glory, 40 years after he ascended into heaven, Jerusalem was completely destroyed and they were scattered throughout the face of the earth for 20 centuries until they were gathered again in 1948. God will not put up with sin. I want you to know and understand that when a nation forgets God, they will either repent or be judged. They will either humble themselves or face humiliation. The parallel with America is obvious and sobering. And while I do this, I'm going to ask that the teenagers and any young people and people are kind of try not to get up and down a lot because there's people who came a long way to hear this. And I know sometimes you got to get up, but especially the teens, stay seated. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Now, the parallel with America is very obvious and very sobering. Please understand that no nation has ever had a Christian beginning like America. Study the civilizations of the world and you will see that no civilization has ever had a Christian beginning or a godly beginning like America. None. We are completely and totally unique. And that's why we have been totally and uniquely blessed of God. We also have been given the Lord the law, and a land. And in return, we too have denied him and defied him and defiled our land. And you say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's not me. I'm a good Christian. Well, I'm talking about the nation as a whole, the sentiment of the nation, the laws that have been passed, what we're watching take place today, the way Christianity is being suppressed and truth is being suppressed and perversion is being glorified and honored and righteousness is being persecuted and criticized. The way we are seeing the public square void of God, the way leadership is suppressing and pushing down the truth of the scriptures, the way the Bible is under persecution and the attempts all over the land to get God out. There's no question we have denied him. We are defying him by the day, and we are defiling our land. Now let me cover these one at a time. There's no question America has denied the Lord. Since the 1960s, the Lord has slowly but steadily been expelled from every public venue. It started in the public schools when prayer was banned and the Ten Commandments were taken off the wall. Wasn't that smart? Then it went to courthouses and Now there's an attempt at taking God we trust off the coins and God out of our very pledge of allegiance. It's gotten to the point where we today that stand in pulpits like I do are fighting battles about what we can even say in the church, in the land that's supposed to recognize freedom of religion. Did you know that in Canada right now, if I were in Canada and I opened up Romans 1 and I read the verses that declare that homosexuality is considered a sin against God, I would be arrested and thrown in jail. And America is close behind. That is exactly where they're wanting this country to go. Freedom of speech is under attack. Freedom of religion is under attack. 
The liberties that our forefathers gave to us are under attack like we have never seen. It's no longer just about the separation of church and state, but rather the separation of America from the God who founded and blessed her. America has officially denied the Lord. Secondly, America has defied the law. The Supreme Court says that it's against the law. Get this. This, I can't, this amazes me, but it's true. That it's against the law, says our Supreme Court, to display the Ten Commandments in a public place, though they have them displayed on their own building. Yeah, we gotta take them off school walls. We can't display them in public. They argue that if you display them, people might ponder them. Oh no. And if so, they might gasp, obey them. And that would be a violation of the separation of church and state. Don't miss next week. I'm going to pop the bubble. I'm going to destroy the myth of separation of church and state. That is bunk. That's a lie. It's a total lie. It's now the official position of our government that the Ten Commandments are dangerous. Can you imagine that? God gave Moses the Ten Commandments for life and living. He made his truth completely clear, what he requires and expects of man, and yet now our Supreme Court and our government consider them dangerous. i, I got to think of Paul's words here where he said, professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. The Greek word for fools is taken from a Greek word meaning moron, moronic. Professing themselves to be wise, they have become moronic. After all, we wouldn't want kids in our school to see thou shalt not kill. They might put their guns away. We don't want them to see thou shalt not kill. They might put away their knives. Do you know that you never saw the rampant violence in the public school system like we do now until they took the commandments off the wall and prayer out of the school? The direction that our once Christian nation is headed in is foolish, and it totally defies basic common sense. It's like the inmates are running the asylum. Good is bad, bad is good. We live in a parallel universe. Right is wrong, and wrong is right. Godliness is ungodliness, and ungodliness is godliness. Light is dark, and dark is light. Somebody wake me up. Like Israel, we have denied the Lord, and we have defied the law. And thirdly, we are defiling our land. See, you can't defy God's law without defiling what he gave you. We've done this in many ways, defiled our land, but I believe the number one way is found in the spilled blood of aborted babies. Now, this is not a popular message, but folks, it's gotten down to the wire, and let's take the gloves off and let's tell the truth. Since Roe versus Wade was enacted in 1973, 50 million babies have been aborted. And that's increasing by 3,700 babies per day. That means an entire generation is not here that would have been here. Now, let me just put that in money terms. That means 50 million tax-paying citizens who would have been paying into all the entitlements we hope are there when we get old have not been paid into because we aborted the ones who would have contributed to our society. 
So if you don't care about aborted babies, what about caring about the money that you would have had available for you in your retirement that won't be there because all the doctors and scientists and thinkers and producers and good citizens that would have been here never made it. An entire generation, 50 million people, an entire generation. In the book of Jeremiah, God lists several reasons for which his judgment was going to come upon Israel. In Jeremiah 22, verse 17, the Bible says, Yet your eyes, this is God talking to his people, not pagan people, his people. He said, Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. He said, let me tell you what you are all about. My people, the ones called by my name, here's what you're about. You're about getting things, stuff, material possessions, and shedding innocent blood. That, that summarizes what you're about. Does that describe America? Give me things, give me stuff, and we will shed innocent blood to get it. God says in Proverbs 6, 17, that one of the seven things God hates is the shedding of innocent blood. Number three on the list of seven, shedding of innocent blood. There is no other person more innocent and more helpless than a baby in the mother's womb. Now, I'm going to be very blunt today and just say, that's why I cannot vote for anyone who supports abortion. How in the world? Because if I, whoever I vote for, I am empowering them to do what they do. I'm enabling them to continue what they do. And I cannot do that. How can I give a vote to somebody who is doing what God says he hates and say that I'm living by the word of God? Think about that. Think about that. This is not about personality. It's not about, it is not about a, a, a political party. It's not about any of that. It's about what does God say in his word? And what is going to bring judgment on this land if we don't stop it? God said to Jeremiah the prophet, Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A nation like what? A nation that sheds innocent blood. God says, How in the world can I not punish that? How can I not judge that? He will judge that. And I've studied the Bible cover to cover. I've studied the prophets. I've gone through Jeremiah in the last year, probably four to five times from beginning to end, marking it all up. And I have seen that when the judgment of God falls, see, there is a deception to sin. There is a deception that comes to sin. God's judgment tarries, and we assume that what we're doing is getting by the eyes of God. We assume that God is blinking at it because God doesn't immediately judge it. But he doesn't immediately judge it because he gives his people time to repent. But if you don't repent, his judgment finally falls. And when it does, it's fierce and it's ferocious and it is consummate and it is complete and it is total. When I study Israel, I see that God took away his glory from Israel when they did such things. He removed his hand. And I personally believe that God's in the process of removing himself from America right now. I believe America's under judgment as I speak. But it's not the complete judgment that will come. I believe we are at this place. Humility or humiliation, which will it be? We need a national revival. We need a spiritual awakening. 
Listen, I, I, I'm all for voting, and, and I'm going to talk about voting. I'm, I'm totally for it, but what we need even more than that is a national awakening, a spiritual revival from coast to coast, New York, California, every state in between. We need a revival. But like Israel, we have denied the Lord, defied the law, and defiled the land. Now, I want to use an illustration with you today to help you understand where I believe we are. It's the illustration of a family fortune. And I want to show you by this what happens in the life of a typical nation. When a family becomes rich, there are three stages which always seem to occur. You have the first generation that generates the fortune. These are the producers. So the first generation comes into the money, makes the money, earns the money. They do something and they produce, they generate a fortune. The second generation speculates the fortune. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Speculation, I know what you're thinking. Well, that means when you think about something, you speculate, you consider. But there's another meaning of the word speculation. And it means when you place something at great risk through a series of compromises and foolish decisions. Speculation. So you have the generation that generates and produces. You have the second generation that speculates the fortune, puts it at great risk. And then you have a third generation that dissipates the fortune away. They squander and waste it away, and it is gone. Generation, speculation, dissipation. And that's exactly how it works in the life of a nation and its freedom. There is the first generation that generates the freedom. Then there comes a generation that speculates it away and puts it at risk. And then finally, there is a generation that dissipates it until it is completely gone and freedom is no more. Say with me, generation, speculation, dissipation. Now let's look at how this pattern was played out in Israel. First, we had in Israel the first generation, the producers, the generators, the ones that produced the freedom that was given to them. What do we know about the first generation of Israel that entered the promised land? Well, we know this. Under General Joshua, Israel was given victory after victory by God. Walls came tumbling down. Giants were defeated and kings were subdued. It says in the Bible that every nation every pagan people that they began to walk towards, their hearts melted within them because they knew they could not beat Israel because they knew that God was with them. They won victories they could never have accomplished apart from the power of God, and the fear of them and the terror of them was on every pagan nation they approached. God gave them the victory, and that's exactly how it was with the United States of America. Go back to our first war, the Revolutionary War. Britain had more men, more money, far better weaponry. Britain had the greatest military on the face of the earth. The saying that said, the sun never sets on the British Isles is absolutely true. They owned the Gentile world. So to go against Britain was to go against the most fierce, best-trained military on earth. And the young, stripling America of 13 colonies 
decided to declare war and fight for their independence, and they went up against impossible odds. And the long and fierce battle was truly a David and Goliath scenario, but God was on our side, and we won. We won against all odds. Read a book like David McCullough's 1776. And you will see there laid out for you miracle after miracle after miracle that God performed to give this country its birth. It's amazing. God was with us. The great George Washington became our first president. When he took office, he placed his hand on the Holy Bible. He finished taking the oath. I'm going to show you what he did. He finished taking the oath and he kissed the Bible. You got to love this word to kiss it. He kissed it in front of Congress. He kissed it in front of everybody there. Kissed the Bible. But he didn't stop there. His first official act was to lead the entire Congress in a two-hour worship session, praising and magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the ACLU today if our Congress had a two-hour worship session praising Jesus Christ? I think that would turn the debt back. A textbook called the New England Primer was the first book to be used in early American public schools for years. All the children were taught, were educated through the New England Primer. And the New England Primer asked questions like this. Who was the first man? Answer, Adam. Check. Who was the oldest man? Answer, Methuselah. Check. Who is Jesus Christ? Answer, the Son of God. Check. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus Christ were taught in our schools now, our poor, dilapidated, desperate, declining school system? If we reinserted the cornerstone of all true education, which is Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Bible? But the questions didn't stop there. Mere elementary age students, think about this, fourth graders, fifth graders, eight, nine years old, were asked these questions in class that they had to answer. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is not to play an Xbox. Man's chief end is not to do your own thing, baby. Man's chief end. Can you imagine a little fourth grader going, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Another question, what do the Scriptures principally teach? Answer, the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And these little eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds would answer that way. Can you imagine the belief system, the worldview that this placed in their possession to understand their calling, to understand their purpose? If one looks at the Founding Fathers' writings, like John Adams, their speeches and the documents written by them, it's easy to see that the lessons of the New England Primer helped shape America through the Founding Fathers who were taught this way. Wouldn't you love to have congressmen, senators, representatives, president who would kiss this Bible?
America needs to go back to the one source that made her great, and that is God and the Bible. So first we had the generation that produced our freedom. And so did Israel. Now let's go back to Israel's history. Following the producers, Joshua's generation, came another generation, the generation of speculation. Those that placed their heritage at great risk. The Joshua generation that gave to them their freedom had seen firsthand the great works of God. They had seen the Jordan divided. They had seen the manna provided every morning on the ground. They had seen the cloud by day, the fire by night. They had seen the walls of Jericho come crashing down at the blowing of a trumpet by the power of God. They had seen the great works of God. But the succeeding generation was a different story. Judges records the sad tale. God said to Israel through an angel, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I promised your fathers. I said, I will never break my agreement with you. Do not make any agreement with the people of this land. Tear down their altars. Be ye separate. Now listen to what God said to them. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Now I hear God's heart there. I gave you the land. I divided the sea for you. You walked over. I drowned your enemies and defeated them so that you could go towards the promised land. I gave you the manna every day. I led you faithfully. Your shoes didn't wear out. Your clothes didn't wear out. I carried you all the way into the promised land. Now, what is this you have done in return? They were the speculators. They had placed their heritage at great risk. Scripture goes on to say that in Judges 2 verse 10. All the people of Joshua's day died. The Joshua generation died off. The children who came after them did not know the Lord. They did not know about the things he had done for Israel. This means that the Joshua generation had failed to pass their values onto their children. They had produced a generation that did not know their God, did not know what he had done. They had not taught his ways when God had clearly in Deuteronomy told them to do so. So they had a generation totally disconnected from from how they had gotten where they were. What a sad verse. So this generation, not knowing their heritage and not having any roots in the God that got them there, speculated and squandered it all away by walking away from God and His Word. Now hear me, church. This is exactly what happened in this land called America. Beginning in the 1960s, in earnest, it really accelerated. When our own speculation generation arose, the generation that put it all at risk. In the 60s, the Supreme Court made three devastating rulings. They removed prayer from our schools, huge mistake. They legalized abortion, and they ruled for no-fault divorce. I don't need a reason to divorce. I just go and say, we don't get along. You get your divorce. This opened the floodgates. On the heels of this, the American population threw Bible morality out the window and dove into the sexu sexual revolution. They said, we don't need God. We don't need His Word. We're not clinging to those old values, those old morals. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do what we want. We're going to live the way we please. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes, as Israel did. And look at where we are today. Look around you. It's a train wreck. It's ruin. It's cultural ruin. We're looking at a train wreck. Open your eyes. 
Rather than washed in the waters of God's Word, Americans today are brainwashed by humanism, situational ethics, and relativism. We are being choked by relativism. We no longer understand the moral foundations and the spiritual principles upon which our nation was founded. As Israel produced a generation that did not know their founding God, we have now produced a generation that does not know how we got where we are. They don't have a clue. The saddest verse in Judges sums up Israel's worldview as it does America's worldview. We're going to read it again, read read it at the beginning. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Situational ethics perfectly described. The reigning worldview of present-day America. Israel became a nation with no absolutes, no standard to live by. Is that not the nation that you and I live in today? Do you know that Barner Research shows that 67% of Americans say there's no such thing as absolute truth? Now, this book is all about absolute truth. And, and when we left this book behind, it's when we stepped into chaos and anarchy. And it's not going to stop till we return. Right and wrong are not clear any longer. They, they weren't to Israel and they aren't to us. What's wrong for you is not necessarily wrong for me. You've heard the argument. Don't preach to me. You've got your truth and I've got mine. Mine is as good as yours and yours is as good as mine. So why don't we just hug and all get together and we call it tolerance. But if you notice that tolerance only works in one side. That is, if I agree with godlessness, I am tolerated. But if I stand up for Bible morality, those that preach tolerance are not tolerant of me. I'll tell you what, folks, I read this morning, Jude said, I want you to earnestly contend. That means step into the ring and fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I'm ready to take the gloves off and get into the ring and fight for our freedom before it's gone. And if it doesn't shake you up, the 67% of Americans don't even believe there's absolute truth anymore. And I think it's higher than that. Consider this, that the same survey was done in evangelical churches like this one. And among Sunday morning attendees, 52% said the same thing. There's no absolutes. I want to know, what are they reading? What Bible are they reading? I haven't found that version yet. The new revised, twisted version, what is it called? Because my Bible is full of black and white and and good and bad and right and wrong and light and dark and godly and godless. So there were the generators of blessing, the speculators of that blessing that put it all at risk, and finally came dissipation. Dissipation. The generation that threw it all away. The generation that squandered it all away and ultimately came under judgment in Israel were told by God, quote, in in Judges 2 verse 3, Listen to what God says to the ones who threw it all away. He said, I will no longer drive your enemies out before you. Think about that. I will no longer drive your enemies out before you. What a terrible thing to hear. Because if God doesn't fight for us, we're not going to win. God goes on to say, but they shall be thorns in your side. And their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. They wept because they knew that God had departed 
from them. And they had lost the source of all that they had. That was the generation that threw it all away, the dissipators. And I believe that America is right now witnessing the rise of the dissipation generation. We had the generators. We had the speculators that put it at risk. Now we're looking at the devourers, the dissipators, who throw it all away. Up to half our population is on government support of some kind. 50 million Americans, more than ever in our history, are now on food stamps. One out of six of us, and I guarantee you most of them don't have to do it. It's become a way of life. I'm all for helping those that can't help themselves. We have a huge benevolence program. We help people all the time. But brother or sister, if you can work and you don't, if you're just living off the government dole and letting us work for you, and when we pay our taxes, we're paying for your food and your lobster at the, at the grocery store, then the Bible says, he that does not work should not eat. That's what the Bible says. Well, that doesn't sound very compassionate, Jeff. No, I'm going to tell you what lack of compassion is. Letting people become welfare slaves. That destroys incentive. It destroys self-respect. It destroys self-esteem. And it destroys the culture and the society in which you live. Compassion doesn't just give you a fish, it teaches you how to fish. We're fast becoming a nation of takers rather than a nation of producers. Our government has squandered away our vast wealth and dragged us into a spectacular, inconceivable debt load. Sixteen trillion dollars! And increasing by the moment. As of this message, every American man, woman, and child share the national debt to the tune of $51,000 a piece and rising. So if you have a household of four, your family of four owes the government $204,000 to retire the debt. There's 330 million Americans. If 330 million Americans paid their $51,000 that would retire the debt and we'd be back to broke. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Our national debt is growing to the tune of $4 billion a day. Since I started this message, we're already millions more in. We've had our first generation of producers, the forefathers. Then the generation of speculators that speculate and put it at risk. And now the dissipators are here. If the dissipators gain the majority, and there's more people under entitlements than are working and producing, then the whole financial system collapses, and we become the United States. Let me put it this way. We become the United Banana Republic States. Because you can no longer sustain those entitlements and the whole thing crashes and anarchy breaks loose in the streets and people riot and set buildings on fire because they're not getting their checks. We've got to return to sanity and sanity is every man, every woman pulls their own load and works if they can possibly work and produces instead of takes and gives to the work of God. We've got to return to the sanity of Scripture. And the only thing that can turn this around is the living God. Yeah. 
That's the only thing. The living God. Second Chronicles 7.14 promises, if my people. Notice that God looks not to Democrats, not to Republicans, not to Libertarians, not to a government. When a nation is in crisis, He looks to His people. Because we have the greatest power on earth. That's the power of prayer. More powerful than all the nuclear bombs put together. Prayer. If my people call by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. And then finally, we're going to have to vote. We've got to vote. Don't you know that Paul would have given anything if he had had a vote over who the Caesar was? Nero was burning them at the stake. You think he would have voted? I guarantee if he wasn't under a totalitarian dictatorship but in a republic, he would have had a verse in the Bible. All Christians, be sure you vote. We must not vote according to personality or race or party loyalty because it's not about any of those things. None of those things. We've got to vote Bible values. What God says about the value of life, morality, and financial sanity. Can we stand together? And I'm going to ask you to do what we did last night and in the early service. I want you to take the hand of your neighbor. I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but we're going to launch 40 days of prayer on September 28th. And I'm going to ask all of you to go with us. Thousands of churches around America are going to be doing the same thing. Folks, I'm 59 years old. I have never, ever in my life been more concerned about my country. And I don't think there's a more serious election than this November 6th. If you want to go back all the way to the Civil War and Lincoln being elected, I believe this is the first election that serious. We've got to have a turn. And prayer is going to turn it. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we ask you in Jesus' name, forgive us our sins as a nation. Forgive us the abortion. Forgive us, Lord, for walking away from your word. Forgive us for defiling the land and defying your law. We humble ourselves to you. Lord, we ask you to restore the God of the Bible and the Bible that is from God and all the truth therein to this country that secular humanism and situational ethics and relativism would lose their grip and we would return as the prodigal returned. We would come to ourself and return to sanity. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord.